Good morning, everybody. Hopefully you're having an outstanding Friday. We made it through another week. Can you believe it? <laughs> uh, I have a special guest today, and I'll get into that in a moment. But first, let me go through my normal, my normal spiel. Welcome to the Break the Cycle with DSD podcast. I am your host, Dwayne. I'm an individual much like you. I'm not a therapist, which I guess maybe some people are. Our guest is today. Anyways, I've developed some tips and techniques over the last uh, nine years of my experience that I share with you to help you get your life back, break the cycle of emotional abuse, and if you have kids, to help repair the damage, strengthen your relationship, and undo parental alienation if you have any of that. Uh, Now remember, only a licensed professional can make a diagnosis of somebody with a personality disorder, and they have to do that in a clinical environment. So be careful throwing around medical terms, diagnosing your ex, because as you guys have heard in the last few episodes from the different guests, it can really undermine your credibility and hurt your overall case. So just be careful, learn everything you can about it, understand the behaviors, understand the patterns, understand what you can do to deal with them, but don't go around diagnosing them. Focus on the patterns of behavior. If you want to support the channel and everything that we do here, you can do that by becoming a channel member. If you do that, you get special badges, custom emojis, your name listed in the credits, and member-only events, which there will be one tomorrow morning. I'll be sending out more on that later today. The other thing is, did the text notifications go out? I think it didn't, but if you do want to get text notifications when I set the right time, uh, you can text DSD Live to 844-598-0012, 844-598-0012. And today, because we have a guest, we will not be having uh, uh, the call-in thing just because it's complicated. So, But if you want to ask Chris a question, tag me do t- at DSD, put Q in front of it, and put the question in so that I can potentially get it into the show. Uh, with the delays and everything, sometimes it makes it compl- uh, complicated when we go through the different topics. But uh, moderator Debbie will be helping us out with that. And on that, let me see if I can do this correctly. I'll welcome Chris. How are you doing this morning? Hello. Good. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I got my coffee. I see you got your coffee too. So uh, at the end of the week, we can end the show on, on hopefully a discussion that, that will be very helpful for people. And uh, I am absolutely looking forward to that. Uh, but let's see. Before we jump into this, what I do want to say is, or what I want to pull up, if you don't know Chris, who runs We Need to Talk, let me pull this up, with Chris Godinez. That's her website, or not her website, that's her YouTube channel. She also has a uh, uh, face, not a Facebook page, a <laughs> website. Oh my God, my brain just seized up. Uh, and there'll be links in the description on that. I didn't pre-pull pull that up, but uh, yeah. So, hey, so for everybody listening, uh, the other day, Chris and I were talking about different topics and, and triggers have been coming up a lot lately. And I know some people have a really hard time with that word. It's like they get triggered by the word triggered. I, I don't know how many times I get comments, you know, it's like, oh, you, you said triggered, so I'm, I'm turning off this video. But anybody who's been through trauma... Triggers and PTSD and CPTSD, they're, they, they're all intertwined. Yes. And, and so, and what I've noticed is that when, when something triggers you, it doesn't necessarily mean that that is, I mean, that event does, but it also can tie, tie into that. So before we jump into that, can you talk from, a, I guess, a clinical perspective, how do you view triggers and what does it mean to you for a client whenever somebody is having those type of really visceral emotional responses to different stimuli? So basically what a trigger is, is when you've had PTSD, CPTSD complex, and something reminds you of the trauma, something reminds you of the abuse, something reminds you of the event that was life-threatening. So... This is our amygdala. Let me just do a quick little, this is our amygdala. Okay, left side, right side. This is our amygdala. The amygdala sits about an inch inside of each ear. This is our fight, flight, freeze, or fawn center. Now, the problem with the amygdala is it is three O's stupid. It cannot tell the difference between a real threat, a thought about a real threat, imagining or daydreaming about a threat, 
an emotional threat, or some real stuff that's happened in the past. So when the amygdala recognizes something that reminds it of a time when we have been hurt, okay, and I'm really dumbing this down, guys, so I apologize to any of the neuroscientists out there. But when this little guy gets reminded of anything that reminds it of when it's gotten hurt, it lights up like a Christmas tree, tells the hippocampus hypothalamus to release cortisol, you know, the, tells them to go, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, we're in danger. These guys then tell the brain, oh my God, we need cortisol. Cortisol is our stress hormone. We get flooded with cortisol, we start tensing up, okay? Because we're getting ready to fight, flight, freeze, or fawn, give into the predator so that we don't get killed. So now we're tense and we're like stressed out and our heart starts racing and we're not taking deep, normal breaths. We're, you know, the CO2 oxygen is all wonky. Racing thoughts, racing thoughts, racing thoughts. And then what happens is when the body realizes or the brain realizes that we're not getting the CO2 oxygen exchange, it tells another part of the brain a little further down on the brain stem, the more primordial one, holy crap. We're in danger. We're going to die. Oh my God, we need more energy to get out of here. So then that tells the adrenal gland that sits on top of the kidneys to release everything at once. So now we're shaking like a leaf, shaking like a leaf because of the adrenaline. Racing thoughts, racing thoughts, pounding heart, pounding heart, puffy little breasts that don't go anywhere. And then it's like you go into either your classic panic attack or you go into a rage attack. Those are both parts of fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. So some people respond with panic, other people respond with rage. Why? Because if you're the Incredible Hulk, nobody's going to be stupid enough to continue attacking you, basically. So a trigger is anything that hits the amygdala and makes it remind it of the stuff that happened to us before. So it's a flashback. It's basically, it's like, this reminds me of when I was being abused. Oh my God, I'm in danger. I need to do something. And then the body goes into defense mode or response mode. So... Does that answer your question? <laughs> Let me hit the right button. Yeah, no, actually it does. And, I, you know, I mean, I think, I know for me, especially at the beginning part, part of mine, I was having, you know, like all kinds, I guess, emotional flashbacks or being triggered or PTSD. And some of it makes sense, right? I mean, because it's like, okay, you're being, you can tie it to an event, which I think is kind of like more normal PTSD. And I think the problem is, is most people look at, look at it, it's like, oh, well, PTSD means you had to have some type of serious trauma. So that means it has to be, you had to be in war and, you know, deal with that. Or maybe you had a, a, a physical attack. But I mean, emotional, I mean, something as non-physically violent as an emotional abuse can be, can, can be that. Yes. And as, as we expand our knowledge of PTSD is as we do more research, as we do more studies, as we understand the nature of the brain and how it works and how everything is interconnected, the, the, the definition gets broader and broader and broader. So you're absolutely correct. In the beginning, like in the 19, you know, 70s, 19, yeah, 1970s is probably when it really came forward. PTSD was generally considered to be a life-threatening event or witnessing a life-threatening event, right. right? So like war, right? So the soldiers would come home from Vietnam, they all had PTSD. As we understand the brain better, as we understand fight, flight, freeze, or fawn better, we understand now that it's not just a life-threatening physical event, it can be a life-threatening emotional event. In other words, if you have a parent that is constantly screaming at you, yeah. and you're a little kid, and your survival depends on that crazy parent, you're going to be in a state of fear your entire life. You're going to have PTSD. And the second you hear somebody scream like your parent did, you're going to have a flashback. And you're going to be in survival mode. See, and I wanted to hit that because that, that's one thing I, I, I noticed with me is I would have these these. And it doesn't even have to be with a, a, a romantic relationship, but I remember growing up, or you know, when I say growing up, I'm 50, so growing up is like 30s, you know, in this in this context of the conversation. <laughs> but there were definitely times where something would happen. I would respond in a way that logically I could look at it and say, "Why am I? Why am I having this reaction to this event? It makes no sense." Because I mean, 
And now I get it, right? I mean, I was having a response because someone said something or did something or, or hit a, a, a sensitive point that tied back to when I was maybe, well, I don't even remember my childhood, so that's a whole other issue. But, but uh, That's a red flag. Yeah. That's a red flag. Can I just interject? <laughs> yes. That is a red flag. If you cannot remember your childhood, that screams to me trauma. Because when a child goes through an emotional trauma or a physical trauma or, you know, any kind of trauma, the, <laughs> this is such a huge topic. Yeah. Okay. So kids cannot process things the way adults do. And it drives me crazy when I see adults demanding that little kids process things the way adults do. They don't have the mental capability of doing that. It's a developmental stage. So if you cannot remember your childhood, it's because something happened and your brain just went, oh, yeah, no, peace out. <laughs> Click. <laughs> Click, yeah. So that is a huge sign that something happened. And and that is, a, I'll tell, it's so funny. When I work with clients and I start, you know, because I asked them, it's like, well, tell me about your family of origin. Tell me about your childhood. Tell, tell me about lions the couch and tell me about your mother and your father. You know, <laughs> exactly. that kind of thing. Um, and they say, oh, I don't remember anything past the age of eight. I'm like, whoa, okay. Yeah. You got to figure out what happened. Because normally kids are able to go from usually around two or three, they can remember stuff on up. So, But you know what, what's interesting with what you just said on that is, like for me, it was normal in my mind that I couldn't remember anything. And then I convinced myself, oh, well, it's just a... It's a, it's a, def I mean, I remember thinking this when I was in my teens and stuff It's like, oh, it's a defense mechanism. Um, and I, and I didn't even tie into what that really meant. And I kind of like, like, oh, okay, well that way, um, you know, I forget people, I forget things. And it's like, you know, eh, whatever it was, it was, I mean, I, now, I mean, just saying that I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, but because when we're in that, it is, we have to normalize it in right. order to survive. Yeah. And we do. We normalize the crazy family. You know, I can't tell you the number of times my mother would sit here and tell me, oh, every family is like ours. And I remember. Oh, going, yeah. yeah. No, I don't think so. <laughs> well, and then you but then you kind of see some, some I mean, there's a there's a lot of dysfunction out there. And, you know, depending on the group of people you're around, it can be normal. I mean, I know for me, it was like everybody had issues everybody had problems with their parents i mean and it's not like we sat around and compared detailed notes um right. so i mean it made it it made it tough but i it wasn't until i got much older like i said way into adulthood that i i just started looking at going you know why am i having these responses to it i mean and and it was just it was a it was i mean and even then i still didn't i'm like oh okay that means something bad and for me personally, I didn't really start looking for help until when my marriage exploded. I'm like, okay, you know, I don't want to be here. I never wanted to right. be here. This is a problem. So I might as well, you know, dive in and try to, uh, to see what I can figure out to make my life better. Right, exactly. And so if you are being triggered all the time, I, it drives me crazy, like you said, when people are like, oh, well, I'm just going to stop listening, blah, blah, blah. Okay, guess what? Newsflash, guys you got to figure out what those triggers are and why. Yeah, you, because yeah you're absolutely you right. You don't want your world becoming smaller and smaller and smaller. So what generally happens with people that have had PTSD or CPTSD is they start doing the avoiding thing. And pretty soon, guess what? They'll become agoraphobic. So in other words, mm. let's say they have a panic attack in the mall because they saw somebody screaming at their kid or it's just too crowded, especially for veterans. I hear this from veterans all the time. They're like, I cannot go to the mall. I cannot go to the supermarket. I can't, it's too crowded. Costco freaks me the fuck out, you know, yeah, yeah. that kind of, oops, sorry. <laughs> swear. No, that's okay. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> Who needs monetization anyways? <laughs> trying to be so good. I'm sorry. <laughs> so funny. anyway, he, um, you know, the, the veterans would tell me I can't do it. I can't do it. It's too much. So then they start avoiding it. So then you start avoiding them all. Then you start avoiding Costco. Then you start avoiding, oh my gosh, well now I'm freaked out at the park. You start avoiding the park. Then you are freaked out walking down the sidewalk. Now you start avoiding walking outside. And your world starts becoming smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. So that is why you have got to face these triggers head on and figure out why. 
Why, why are you being triggered? Where did this come from? Take your power back. You know, the best way to give the middle finger to your abuser is to not allow them to continue to control your life from the grave. So what you want to do, or from after being divorced or whatever. So what you want to do is you want to figure out, okay, I'm getting triggered when this happens. Guess what I need to do? I need to do some journaling. I need to do some inner child work. I need to do uh, self-esteem work. And I need to confront this trigger and stare it in the face and strike hard, strike fast, strike first. You know what I'm saying? It's like you don't allow the trigger to run you. You tell that trigger where to go and what to do with it. Yeah, I think I think the key thing on that, at least for me, is, you know, you can I guess it's almost like living with chronic pain. You know, I mean, if you have if you have a problem and it's and it's something, I don't know, whatever, let's say that there's a, a surgery that can that can take care of it. But you're so fearful of going to the doctor that you don't. And then before you know it, a decade or two of your life has been wasted living in pain that maybe you didn't need to. And I mean, the pain, the emotional pain is, 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 I mean, sometimes I think physical pain is easier to deal with than emotional pain. Because it's something you can point to. It's something you can say, yes, this is what's happening. With emotional pain, it's like, okay, uh, you know, why am I feeling this? And I feel this all the time. And and what, what is going, and it's emotions. Emotions are hard to deal with when you have been raised by a narcissist or a borderline. Because remember, Personality disordered parents don't like emotions and they don't allow their children to have emotions. Right. So I remember growing up and if I cried, my dad would back slap me, you know, slap, backhanded slap. And many a time I literally found myself across the room going, what just happened? You know? So for years I did not cry because the only emotion that was allowed by him was adulation of him and you had to be happy you know, like fake happy. So kids who are abused don't know how to cope with emotions. That's why they don't like triggers because guess what? You got to deal with the emotions. Hello. I, I remember now what the, what one of the ones that really got me thinking and it was, and this, this will sound, maybe, maybe it won't sound weird, but I used to get angry around a woman that would cry. It was weird, right? I'd have somebody and they would get emotional. And instead of, instead of feeling like, oh, you poor thing, you know, instead of being, you know, uh, wanting to save them or whatever, I would have this other response. And it wasn't until, I mean, I, once I, I'm like, whoa, that was weird. Why is that happening? And I started thinking about it. My mom would control and manipulate me with guilt, shame, and crying. Yep. And, yep. and it was, I mean, I'm, that doesn't bother me now, but I remember when that would happen, I'm like, why am I having this response? I mean, this is, doesn't make, this doesn't make sense. I mean, it's like, this isn't right. in, in the list of normal responses. That's not what typically would happen. Right. Exactly. And that's why you've got to be mindful. Like you were, like you realize that's not a normal response and figure out why that happens. So, like I said, for me, it's, it's the irrational yelling that would get to me for men, you know, like, Oh yeah, yeah. I'll okay. Tell you something that yeah, made makes me sense. face all of my fears was working at the homeless shelter because what did I deal with? I dealt with meth addicts, crackheads, you know, right. all of these very angry men. You know? So I literally the whole time I was working at the homeless shelter, I was having to go home and process and be like, "Okay, breathe. Okay, they're not going to kill you. Okay, you're fine." You know, because I was terrified, even though I knew that they weren't going to do anything, and I knew that if they tried to do anything. I could absolutely defend myself because I took, you know, Kung Fu because I swore I would never, ever be hit by another man again, ever or a woman, but you know, right, right. there it is. So, um, but yeah, I mean, you've got to face those triggers head on. You cannot just keep going, Oh, I'm triggered. I'm angry. So I'm going to avoid it. No, you've got to face it head on, figure out why work it through and remind the inner child you are safe. You're okay. Your abuser is no longer here. Is somebody going to act like your abuser? Maybe. But you know what? You're yeah. an adult now. You've got options. You're not just one of these kids that's like, I have no power and I can't do anything. Does no. that make sense? Oh, absolutely. I mean, as you're saying that, I mean, the, the, now, I mean, now as an adult, if we're in a situation that we don't like, you can get up and leave. 
mm-hmm. you know, or you can stand up for yourself or you can, which, exactly. which would probably be the better thing to, to basically say, you know, have a boundary and stay with it. But, exactly. And the reason we don't though, is the codependency. So remember abuse and codependency go hand in hand. So when we have been abused, we've also been trained to take care of the abuser. We have. We, we guard, you know, oh, what's their mood like? Do, should oh, I do yeah. this to make them happy? Should I do that to make them happy? So that is a codependency thing. And so we learn very quickly that, quote unquote, confrontation is not good. That's a trigger for a lot of people. But here's the way I want you to think about confrontation. This is your power stance. This is not... I'm being an asshole. This is, I'm standing up for myself. I am speaking my truth and I am calling somebody out on bad behavior. That's not a bad thing, but we quickly have learned that confrontation is bad because our abusers would punish us when we confronted them or when we stood up for ourselves. So it's really important that if you find yourself with a lot of triggers, you start working on the codependency. You start working on your boundaries, the disease to please, Harriet Breaker. I cannot say that enough. Uh, codependent no more and beyond codependent no more, both by Melanie Beatty. Anything by Pia Melody, you know, it's like those books are going to help you stop the codependency so that you have the ability to go stop and I mean it. And then you'll be surprised how many people back off when you do that. So I had a, uh, one, uh, somebody had a question and I want to, or a comment question type thing. And I want to just pull it up here. Let me see if I can, whoops, I got to move things around so I can get it in the right, that was not the right place to put it. <laughs> I grabbed the wrong box. But uh, uh, anyways, it says narcissistic bank on the fact that the CPST, the CPTSD they develop in their targets will cause them to freeze. And that's why they are so are, are so effective in court. And I want to just dovetail with that and say, or ask my question on that would be, when you're going through a, a high conflict, toxic divorce, and you, you know, you're, you're basically in the middle of this. What are some techniques that you can use to, to deal with that and address what Merge is here is talking about to, to minim, I guess, minimize the power they have over us in that, in, in like the real time. Right. So this is going to, you need a therapist. You need a therapist. You're going to need somebody that's going to reinforce your self-esteem. That's going to reinforce your own power. So when we come out of a, an abusive relationship, we feel powerless. And that is intentional. You know, Merv is absolutely 100% right. It's like they do it to intimidate. And they either do it so that you're constantly in fight mode. I, I, it's not just the freeze mode. They want you to be so heightened emotionally that you're not thinking clearly. That's yeah. their whole goal. So they want you to be either in fight mode so that you're constantly fighting with them, even in court, because they love that. Remember, that's their cocaine. That is their narcissistic supply. They view court as their grand stage. Like <laughs> they are now on the globe and, you know, to be or not to be. That is that is their grand stage. Right. And so they want you to be heightened and they want you to be upset and they want you to be defensive and they want you to say way the hell too much so you look crazy. The other thing that they do is they intimidate so that, you know, you're constantly in flight. You want to, you just want to get the hell out of there and you want to give them everything and you want to just be done. I've seen so many men and women do this. Like in a divorce case, they'll literally give up the farm just to get rid of the person. And I'm like, do y'all understand you got kids and you're not going to get rid of them for the next 18 years? Hello. Yeah. You know, it, it, you come on, use some logic here. This person is not just going to magically go away. If they have any excuse to stay stuck with you, they will. So you, you might as well take as much, <laughs> as much stuff as you can, you know, that's yours. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so fight, flight, freeze, like he was talking about. So freezing so that you just shut up. You know, so that you're just in the court, you know, like deer in the headlights. Oh my God, what the, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Fawning also is giving into them, giving them everything. So, yeah. I So that's their intent. They want to intimidate. They do. And I, and I think one of the, the key points on that, I mean, especially if you're in the middle of it and because I mean, all this takes time to heal from, I mean, it's not, it's not something overnight and you're not going to go to one therapy appointment and master this. But I think it's like, take what Chris was just saying. And also, you know, realize that most of the time in the moment, you don't really have to, to re, you know, you don't have to be forced to respond. You don't have to be forced to attack. You don't have to be forced to, to, to do anything. 
I'm, I mean, one of the bad parts about family court is it's really slow, but in a lot of ways, one of the good parts about it is it's really slow. So, I mean, obviously when you're in court, you know, that's different, but you have time to prepare to prepare for that. It's not like, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. One of the ways that you can prepare for that is doing mirror work. So what you do is you look at yourself in the mirror. This is basically you giving you a pep talk. So if, you're, if your abuser is trying the intimidation tactics, no matter what they are, and you realize you've got PTSD, CPTSD, then you got to start doing mirror work. You know, hi, good to see you. You know what? You're not crazy. I love you. You're going to be fine. You're safe. Everything's okay. And then you walk out. So basically what you're doing is you're reprogramming your subconscious and undoing all of the programming that the narcissist shoved into your head. But you've got to do it daily. And it's so funny because my <laughs> my clients are so funny because it's like they'll be just at the beginning of leaving, right? And I'll tell them, okay, you've got to start doing mirror work. You've got to start building yourself back up. And they'll be like, does it really work though? Does it really work? And I'm like, no, I've only been doing this for 17 years. It doesn't work. You know, of course it works. That's but, funny. you know, it's funny because that fear of doing something differently really pops up, especially when they're in the just leaving mode, you know, because they're, they know that if they start building themselves up, the narcissist is going to notice and want to know what's going on. So, well, and as soon as you start standing up for yourself, typically the power dynamic, I mean, I think that, I think in a lot of ways, that's what was the catalyst for my situation to disintegrate is I started, I mean, I wasn't going through therapy, but I was really, Got in my late 40s, or not late 40s, sorry, in my late 30s and early 40s. You know, I'm like, you know what? I'm tired of being anxious all the time. I'm tired of being stressed. I don't want, you know, I'm, I'm, I started adjusting who I was dealing with. And it was like things were getting better in my life. And then it was, but what happened was, is the ex was losing control and it destroyed everything. I mean, it was like, oh, really? Everything's good? Well, let me just drop this turd in the middle of everything and, you know, basically disintegrate. Yeah. Well, and so that's, that is the fear that that is why people are terrified of, you know, change. That is why they're terrified of confronting the triggers. And another thing that really helps with confronting the triggers is to write them down and challenge them. So it's like on one column, you have all of the triggers, right? So you try to think of as many triggers as possible. Right. So, you know, for my veterans, loud noises, backfires, crowds, you know, that type, you know, people wearing masks. crazy enough seriously because it reminds them of the 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 face coverings the the face coverings and things yeah exactly and so they get they're like oh my god this reminds me so much of iraq and it's like okay take a deep breath it's not iraq (laughs) you know you have to kind of remind them of that so you want to write down all of your triggers as many as you possibly can the the, here's the thing knowledge is power Mm -hmm. you got to shine a light on it Abuse only survives in the dark. Triggers are only having power because you're giving it to them. So you got to shine a light on it. So what are the triggers? What are the emotions? What are the flashbacks? And then challenge how irrational those are. It's like, is this true? Does this control me? Am I going to allow this to control me? So let's. You got to be really firm. It's just like dealing with a bully, except it's up here. So, but let's switch to something or a a topic on this that's a little more complicated and it'll be be from, you know, really hit hard hitting with at least my audience. And I'll bring up this comment from T. Solo. It says, even though I won, quote unquote, in family court, and it's like, there's no winning in family court. I was deeply wounded from it. How do, how do you get over the systemic injury in family court still coping with that? And, and I want to, what I want to tie into that is oftentimes we go through these situations and it is a huge injustice, right? Maybe the smear campaign is effective. Uh, custody changes, you know, your, your, your life is completely altered. How, how are you supposed to deal with a situation that feels like complete injustice? And I mean, cause that's real. I mean, it, it's one thing when you're looking at something going, Oh, a car backfired. I'm not in Iraq anymore. There's not mortars coming over the thing. So you can rationalize that, but how would you recommend people deal with, I guess, basically a loss in the court system to where you're not your experience isn't validated and you, you didn't, I mean, you didn't get your day in court and you didn't get justice. How do you deal with that? The best revenge is to take your power back, which means the justice system is 
messed Poo-hard. up. Yeah. Yeah. Beyond repair. So if you want to start feeling more powerful, you've got to start speaking up. You've got to start contacting your representatives, your congressmen, your, you know, you've got to get out there and start speaking up about how messed up our court system is. And it is, especially family court. And especially if you have a court, there's just, don't get me started. Too late. Okay. So there's judges out there that I swear to God and all that's holy just need to be bitch slapped off the, off the bench. Yeah. Seriously. They are narcissists themselves. They have absolutely, get this guys, they have zero training in psychology. Zero. All they care about is the law. So in a way that's good, but in another way that's really bad because when you're dealing with a psychopath in court, and oftentimes these narcissists are, are the dark triad, they're psychopathic, they're narcissistic, and they're Machiavellian, the judges, if they are narcissists themselves, get will side with the narcissist because they recognize themselves in that and they don't give a flying rat's ass about fairness or justice or anything else. Does that make sense? So yeah, the best yeah. way to take your power back is start writing your congressman, start writing your senators, start speaking up, get engagements on uh, uh, news shows if you can. You know, they love those, those, what are those called? Those little segments where they're, you know, the social injustices and things like that. Yeah. But our, our system is fucked up as far as the family courts are concerned. It really is. And it needs to be changed. It absolutely does. And the justice system does not understand personality disorders. Now, when I find a judge here locally that does, I praise Jesus, but then they're gone within, what, two, three years as, as the court systems switch over right, and right. retire or you know, I mean, there was a couple of judges that were really great and they retired and I'm like, damn it. You know, I mean, it's just frustrating. So, yeah. So the best way to take your power back is, was it unfair? Absa, freaking lutely You betcha. What can you do about it? Write a book. Put a light on it. Call your senator. Get on to shows. Start talking. Do your own podcast. Do you see where I'm going with that? Yeah. The, the one thing I want to add on that, because I think there's, there's a transition period. I would say before you get to that point, though, really work on yourself. Right. I mean, uh-huh. get yourself in a place where you've made peace with your life and you can like And that's kind of what I did with this channel. Right. I mean, I didn't start this when I was at the height of my my anger and my bitterness because it would have been a completely different channel and not <laughs> and not helpful. Right. And and I mean, I've, I haven't gone down the political ab, ab, advocacy, if I can say the word right. But I waited until I felt I was at a point to where I had enough distance to be constructive and helpful. And, and to- Go ahead. And to get that distance, you're going to need a therapist. You're going to need to work through the anger. So anger and resentment is like holding on to two hot coals, intending to throw it at somebody else. You're the only one getting burned. Yeah. So what you want to do is write an angry, okay, I'm going to swear, go Go fuck you letter to the court and burn it. Do not send it. Oh, for the love of God, do not send it. So dear judge, whoever, you're an asshole. You did this, 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 and this. Fuck you. You know, whatever you need to say. And then trot it out to the barbecue and burn it. Because there's nothing we can do. We can't get into a TARDIS and change the past. I wish we could. Yeah. David Tennant's hot. So, you know. (laughs) Um, But the point being is that, you know, we cannot change the past. So all we can do is work through our anger. Validate it. Yes, you are pissed. You have a right to be pissed. However, you've got to let the anger go so that you can move forward to advocacy, writing a book, changing the world, you know. It's a thing. Yeah. The other thing I would say on that, and, and if, if you feel, cause here's the thing, in my opinion, if you don't have that, that break in there and you start sending stuff that, uh, isn't well crafted, I'll put it that way. Your yes. credibility, no one's going to listen to you, right? I mean, if you come exactly. across as an angry, bitter person, they're, they're not going to, and you don't communicate it effectively. They're going to look at you. They're going to say, okay, well, you're just angry. You know, it's probably, that's probably the reason why you lost is because you have issues and no one's going to listen to you. And if you're in that situation, I would say find, if you really want to, to, to help find a, a program or a system or, or another figure who is working toward that goal and support them, you know, either monetarily or just, uh, you know, supporting their, their platform um, to, until you're at a point to where you can effectively do it. I've seen so many people who, who have a a compelling story and I can listen to it and I can, and I can see through what they're saying and understand what they're saying, 
but it's like they're, they're hurting themselves. Like they open their mouth, they spew this stuff out. And it's like the only people you're speaking to are the people who understand and you don't need to convince them that doesn't help you. Right. And so what you want to do is when you're crafting these letters to the senators, to the congressmen, to, you know, whoever you're trying to get the attention of, you want to back it up with facts. So that's why you go and you get scholarly articles to back up what you're saying. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's, 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 it's a process and it, it is like you said, super important that you work through all of the anger first, right? So that you can be cold logical. This is the thing is that senators, judges, etc. all they care about are facts. That's really it. Well, and money, but yeah. you know, but you want to present the facts. You want to say, this is a problem and statistically here's why. And then you present the articles that back up what you're saying. And then this needs to change. And here's how I'd like to see it changed. I would love to meet with you. You know, do you see where I'm going with that? Yeah. And, and, you have, but you have to have that cogent argument that that can get through to the root cause. I mean, like for, for one of the things I always think of that I think is, is such a simple concept that no one seem or no one seems to think about is just questioning why would a child decide all of a sudden that they hate a parent, they don't want to be around them, but nothing, nothing really tangible has happened. Now, I know we, we, we discussed earlier that emotional abuse is real, but I mean, right. why is it that people don't go, wait a minute, you know, most kids, no matter, even if they were abused, want to be around, you know, still want the love of their of the other parent. How is right. it that all of a sudden now a kid hates mom or dad and only wants and to be around? questions. Yeah. I mean, nobody it's like, th- that should be like, I mean, so, that- again, let's take a look at the whole system. Medical doctors, get three weeks or less training in psychiatric stuff unless they're going into psychiatric medicine. Judges get zero training in psychiatric issues, okay? Right. And and one of the things I hear from abusers all the time is, well, psychology is a soft science. So they're trying to devalue and discard. Do you see where I'm going with that? Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's really, it's not surprising that verbal abuse, parental alienation is poo-pooed because they don't get training in any of this. And the best judges that I have seen were the ones that have either gone through it themselves, just like the best counselors are the ones that have gone through it themselves because they understand it, or they have bothered to actually go educate themselves on narcissistic abuse. And it, it really should be mandatory that all judges go through training on personality disorders, especially in family court, because that's what they're going to see 99.99999% of the time. Well, yeah, I mean, because that's the other thing on it is that if, if, if people can work it out, they're not going to end up, they'll end up in front of a judge only if their area requires them to be present for their divorce. And some, some areas do some, and I think like, like mine didn't, I mean, when we finally got to the divorce part of it, we, and this is way pre COVID. This was nine, 10 years ago. And uh, I mean, I found out I was divorced after I was already divorced. I mean, they just sent the paperwork in cause we made, we got a deal and it was over. And you know, I mean, so, and I'm not saying that mine was simple. Mine, the only reason it got to that point is cause we ran out of money and you know, custody evaluation wasn't helping the other person and you know, whatever. But it's like, when you get into the situation where you're fighting, it's a, well, okay, we're farther enough in. I'll just say it's a shit show. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. a, it's a situation to where it's a mess, you know, I mean, they, and think about it. I mean, these, these system is just seeing these type of people constantly. I mean, everybody else, as soon as you start losing a ton of money, you're going to say, this is stupid. You know, we're blowing no, our kids. Yeah, well, no, no, you're right. But I'm, what I'm saying is a normal yeah. person at some point yeah. is going to say fighting, you know, spending $30,000 to fight over a thousand dollar couch is stupid. You know, that $30,000 could buy our child a car or pay for part of college or, or do whatever. Uh, but no, you're right. A narcissistic person will burn the whole damn place to the ground and not care. As long as they, you know, as long as, uh, you know, if they can bounce yeah, around going, I won, I won, you know. Exactly. And this is why the courts need to be educated on this, because I think I told you about the client I had where she was drugged back into court every year yeah. for 12 years until 
finally we got her in front of a judge who figured out what was going on and was like, cease and desist. No more. You can't come back. We're done. I want to ask you, know? you on that person. I can, I can only imagine the PTSD and the triggers that person had. I'm sure it was like going to the mailbox was stressful. Uh, a car driving into the, in, up the street because is it somebody serving them or whatever? How was, how was that client, if you can talk about it, but, you know, able to deal with the pressure of that for 12 years? I mean, because you're just going to get so emotionally burnt out. You know, your it adrenal glands by cause, that point will be done. Yes. I was just going to say the physical issues were starting to mount. Um, autoimmune diseases were starting to mount. Right. Uh, even seeing a police car was enough to trigger this person because the ex had called and filed false reports and claimed that, you know, they were the abuser and this, that, and the other yeah. thing and abusing the kid and this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, I mean, it, it was a nightmare and it, it took 12 years to resolve and it was crazy. And it's, unfortunately, that's not the only one. I mean, I've got other cases, I'm kind of doing a conglomeration here, but um, you know, they've all had been drugged through for years and years and years and years. And yeah, it causes adrenal fatigue. It causes autoimmune diseases. It causes, you know, the triggers, speaking of which, like I said, even just seeing a police car, if you've been, you know, having your ex call the cops on you all the time for false charges, you know, which fortunately, at that in that case, that ex went to jail for that. But oh, nice! Finally, some yeah. some some accountability. But no, what you just said reminded me. I mean, I in the early part of this, I th th these were my triggers. I had a if I saw a, a gray Dodge Grand Car or a minivan, Grand Caravan, whatever, whatever the hell that thing was, I would have like a panic panic attack going to the because I kept getting court stuff. And it wasn't, it was a court stuff and it was also collections because the ex would, would, was a master at not paying bills. And then whenever it finally switched to the collections letters, she would just write my address on it. So then I would be getting these collection notes. I mean, I, I literally, I would like to have to take a deep breath and go to the mailbox. You know, when I would go to the mailbox, cause I'm like, okay, I got, to, I mean, I, I, she never served me, but I was so paranoid that when I would open my, I mean, I leave my car in the garage, but when I would open it, I'm like, man, is there going to be somebody standing there to serve me paperwork or, or is, I mean, yeah. she was friends with the cops in town. I mean, it's someone, I mean, it was just, it's, it's, it was such a horrible, horrible time. Yeah, it is. And that is again, when you have to write it out and validate what you're going through, you're not crazy. You're not. These thoughts are happening because the threat is in your case at the time real. Does that make sense? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. yeah, you could have opened your door and a server could have been standing there. So you, what you do is you validate the thought. You don't resist it. Remember, you don't go, ah, oh, not thinking about it. I'm not thinking about it. I'm not thinking about it. Because what am I thinking about the whole time? I'm thinking about that thought. But you also don't invite the fear in because if you invite it in for coffee, it's going to stay for dinner. So what you want to do is you want to just go, okay, fear, okay, thought, okay, trigger. I hear you. I see you. Are you valid? Well, yeah, getting served is a possibility, but it hasn't happened today. So thanks for the warning. Bye-bye. Do you see where I'm going with that? Yeah. Or if it's a not valid fear, it's like, okay, fear, are you valid? Hmm? No, not really. This is old stuff, but thank you for warning me about it. Bye-bye. Do you see where I'm going with that? You don't invite it in. You don't resist it. And that, and that's, how, that's, that's basically how I, I dealt with it. Because I got to the point where it's like, okay, if the collection stuff comes in, you know, I, it, from dealing with it, it's like, okay, I mean, well, let me back up. One of the things was, is that I was really worried because my my, my real, my real job, my real day job, uh, financial issues can be a condition of employment, right? So it would, right. it was really freaking me. And I, and I did have to report all that crap that she did, uh, every five years or so. Um, if anybody understands my career, you'll understand what that means. You have to uh, rehash everything that's happened over the past five years, plus the previous four or five before that. So, um, you know, I mean, I was really worried about that. I'm like, oh my God, this crazy person is doing this. I'm going to get this, this bomb is going to go off later. And what I finally had to, personally, what I finally had to, to realize is, okay, that like you just said, it's like, all right, that might happen, but it's not, you know, that, that bad. Well, like for instance, I also realized that like on collection stuff, it doesn't automatically go on your, your credit file. Right. So it's like when you get the, when you get the letter, there's time to deal with it. It's not like, okay, you know, now your credit's ruined and my credit was already ruined, but that's beside the point. But I mean, I was able to, to take a breath and say, okay, it's not really that bad. And if it is really that bad, 
I'm going to deal with it. And I had to just come to a, a come to a, a space where I'm like, I can't allow this person to control every aspect of my life and keep me in this constant fear state forever. I'm just, you know, I'm getting older. I'm burning. I'm just dumping time on the ground, you know, like dumping gas or just throwing money in the fire or whatever, whatever analogy you want to use. And it's like, I just had to finally just say enough is enough. I can't do this anymore. And I can't live like this. And I'm like, right. and I was able to look at it and say, okay, you know what? If I get a collection thing, I'll deal with it. You know, I even got to the point where it's like, you know what, if I lose my job, maybe that's the, maybe that's the universe giving me an opportunity to do something different in my life. You know I mean? And it was like, I just, I made my peace with it to where now I can go to the mailbox with no problem. I can see her car. I mean, I might have once every once in a while now, cause she got a different car. I'll see it. I'm like, Oh, is that hers? And she's got these stupid purple dragons that she put, you know, on the side of the car. And I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah, that's her. Or, no, it's not her. And I don't have that that, that PTSD response anymore. Right. It's just like, Oh, okay. You know, I mean, I'll, but I mean, if she's, if I was to pull up to a store and her car's there, I'm not going to go, I'll just go another time. You know I mean? I don't yep. want to be around her. I don't want to bump into her. I don't want to talk to her. I don't want to see her. I want nothing to do with her. Absolutely. And that's, that's the thing. It's like, you want to get to the point where you have dealt with your triggers, dealt with them, not ignored them, not, oh God, oh, yeah. I'm not seeing them, but dealt with them so that if and when they pop up, you now are at choice as to whether or not you're going to respond to them. So in other words, how do I explain this? Um, let me try to think of something that really triggers me. Okay. So like I said, people yelling and getting in my face at the, in the beginning, it really triggered me because I was fearful that I was going to get hit. Right. Right. But as I worked through it with my own therapist and as I worked, you know, through the emotions and why I was getting triggered and what the fear was and how illogical it was. And yes, I could protect myself. And, and I got to tell you, it's like doing things to protect yourself is going to help you feel powerful. So self-defense courses, Kung Fu, Karate, Jiu Jitsu, Judo, you know, things like that. If you're female, especially, um, you know, it helps you feel like, okay, bring it on. You know, <laughs> um, the other thing to do too, is that if you're in a divorce situation and you're not ready to divorce yet, but they are spending money hand over fist, file for a legal separation. Because yeah, then what that wow. will do is that will stop all of the financial obligation at that point. So if you're not ready to divorce yet, but you want to make sure your assets are safe, file for a legal separation. That's what I yeah. did. I did that. Yeah. I, that was one of the reasons. Cause it was like, it was like the spending was out of control and I'm like, I didn't, and I didn't even really want a divorce. I just wanted, I wanted some time to breathe. And, uh, so I started with a legal separation, um, that quickly, as soon as, as soon as the narcissistic rage started and I realized, <laughs> holy hell, I'm dealing with a demon. Um, yes. I, uh, I was like, no, F, F this, switch it to a divorce. And, and fortunately they agreed to that. W one of the other things I wanted to, to dovetail on with what you were talking about is dealing with the problem because I, I, mm -hmm. and I'll say this from my perspective, uh, because I thought, I mean, the divorce happened, it was horrific. Uh, you know, we finally got, I got my 50, 50. I'm like, Oh, thank God. You know, things are calm. It's semi calm. You know, she was messing with me a little bit every every chance she could, but uh, it was like the next, and I and I was feeling good, right? I mean, it's like, hey, my life is I'm feeling better, but I was feeling better is because I took all that stuff and I put it in a box and I put it under the bed and I put stuff of, of uh, uh, you know in, in it, so it's like I wasn't I hadn't dealt with it, and right. as soon as everything went to crap, and and it was a I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but there was some there was a, a multitude of things that all happened at once. And what I found is all the, I was feeling, I was refeeling all those traumas as if they had just happened and I hadn't dealt with it. And I, and I think that's what people don't understand is you can feel, you can start to feel better because you ignore it. But if you see that you are, if you recognize in yourself that you're getting those triggers, do yourself a favor and work through it because then they don't have any yeah. power over you anymore. Exactly. And see, that's the thing. It's like, I finally, after working through all of the trauma of my dad hitting me and all of that stuff, you know, I, I <laughs> my first year of private practice, I was dealing with another addict and he got right up in my face and was like screaming at me. I was amazed because I had worked through it. I was able to just go, wow, look at that vein popping out on the side of his neck. Huh? That's really interesting. That, you know? That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that pissed him off. 
But you know, but what's interesting with you saying that is you take something that your normal response would have been, you know, fight, flight. I mean, a really visceral response. And right. that right there is an, an outstanding example of how it was, it was gone. I mean, it's like the, the power, yeah. you'd work through it. And I don't think well, people- I want to say, I, I want to say in the moment it was gone. As soon as I got him out of my office, I was like, okay, okay, you're fine. Okay. <laughs> no, but I mean, but that, but see, but that's almost, I mean, that is like a normal response. I mean, if someone gets into your face, even if, if you've had the best life ever and you've never had any trauma and whatever, and somebody does something like that to you, what you just said is a, that is a normal response. You know, right. I mean, I mean, granted, maybe with more training, like with the the self-defense, if you really feel like, you know, hey, I am not worried about this. OK, fine. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's just like people need to understand that that working through this stuff. It, it, let me let me back up. What I, what I will say is what I often think now, which is I, sometimes when I say this, I think people will think I'm, I'm insane, is I'm kind of grateful for all the crap that happened with my ex all that pain because it forced me to deal with this stuff, to confront it. And my life is so much, I mean, so much better. So, I mean, just from a peace level than it was for the first four decades of my life. Right. Well, and it's the same thing with me. It's like, would I, would I have wanted to have a normal father? Yes. That would have been lovely. However, because of my experiences with him, I have the knowledge and the compassion to help other people in an abusive situation get the fuck out. You know, that I don't think I would have had that had I had a healthy, happy, normal family. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, no, and, absolutely. And you kind of got to, you got to make lemonades out of, out of lemons. You really do. Because it's like so many people get stuck in the hole, but it shouldn't have been this way. It shouldn't oh have been this God. way. It shouldn't <laughs> have been this way. Well, you're absolutely right. In a healthy, normal world, it wouldn't have been this way. But unfortunately, in this particular reality, it is. You know, it is what it is. And this is where I'm really glad that I have also the AA training behind me because it's like, it is what it is. We cannot do anything about the past. We've got to do this moment moving forward. And that's it. And all we can work on is us. We cannot fix them. We cannot fix them. We cannot, it's not our, it's not, it's beyond our means. You know, the only people that can fix them is them. And that's not going to happen in this particular reality. So. Yeah, man. And, and I, what you were talking, it's funny what you were talking about a moment ago with, you know, the, it's not fair. I mean, I fell into that. I mean, I probably burned a good two years of time just being angry and bitter that this isn't right, that this is wrong, that, that I, you know, yeah. that, that two decades of my life has been basically obliterated because of this person. And it's, again, it fell for me, it fell into the thing where it's like, okay, I can, partly it's because I, 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 uh, my father fell into that category and stayed angry and bitter. And every time, like when I was going through my divorce and I would talk about it, I swear to God, he was having a triggered PTSD response and refilling thing, refeeling the experience from, you know, four decades before whenever he divorced my mom. And I, and I would look at that going, oh my God, I don't want to be that person. And even though I didn't want to be that person, it still took me two to three years to get to the point where I was able to finally wake up one. And it, literally it was like, I woke up one day and it was like, okay, I'm done. I, my, my adrenal glands are burnout. I'm burnout. I just, I can't, I, I have no F's to give. Right. I mean, it was like, right. I, it, it, <laughs> And it's, it's weird because everyone's threshold for that is, is different, but ultimately one day you, you're going to wake up and just say enough. I don't want this person and, in my head anymore. And this is why it's important to get with a therapist. So when I have clients that come in and want to tell me their story, yeah. right? like I'm angry and this person's a bitch or a bastard or whatever, blah, 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 blah. I look at them and I go, okay, well, all they, you know, they did all of this stuff. Now what? and then they look at me with this like look like what do you mean i said okay well we can't change it now what what can you do how can you take your power back that's really what it boils down to with triggers with abusers with everything how can you take your power back and how can you affect change in your life and how can you help other people that are going through it that's really what it's all about 
So instead of getting stuck in the story of, oh, this is triggering me, and oh, that is triggering me, and oh, that person did me wrong, and oh, that's not fair, and da-da-da-da. Well, you're absolutely right. It is not fair. I will validate that till the cows come home. Now what? You know what's, what's the next step? What's funny is with you saying that I can I don't I don't know I mean my therapist was outstanding and I don't I can't remember if if we had that particular aha moment or not, but I can imagine I mean when you said it I can see how people are just like wait what it's like I have four decades of my life that I've lived this way and it's like this this concept of okay you're right you did it do you want to feel that way for the rest of your life is this is this what you is this what you want the rest of your life to be and every I think. For the most part, I mean, some people probably yes, because the anger and the and the bitterness and everything kind of kind of gives them that little blanket, I guess. But realistically, the answer is no, right? And it's like, no, I don't. I don't want to live this who, way. Who are you without the anger? Yeah, yeah. So a lot of people become the anger. It's like they don't know who they are without the bitterness and the resentment. They don't know yeah. how to be without this shield of just you know, armoring of anger and resentment and this and that, and da, da, da. let it go. Who are you without it? Yeah. I, and a lot of people are afraid of that. So yeah, that's why it's important. Get with a therapist. It's going to call you on your shit. It's a, uh, it, again, it goes back to the fact that when you get to the point that you can release this, mm-hmm. your life fundamentally changes. I mean, it's, it's just like, In and, miraculous and ways. yeah. And you don't even, it's like one of those things where I, to be honest, for me in my situation, I figured it was going to be like a chronic pain. I figured it was going to be one of those situations where I, I like, all right, I'm going to always have this dull pain and I can't get over it. And it's like, okay, I just have to accept it. And I did. I mean, I'm like, okay, this is my life. And, and, but I mean, so what can I go on with it? But, but for me personally, when I've worked through these things, it's, it's, it's like, no, it's like that, that is gone. Right. I mean, I don't sit around complaining or not complaining, but but ruminating about my marriage or, or the, the crap with my family or my mom. Uh, I, I it's like, no, OK, yeah, yeah, that's a part of my experience. And it gives me some perspective to where I can do like this YouTube channel <clears throat> and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, I don't want that to define or to, to not define, but to corrupt the rest of my life. Right. If I sat here and just allowed my dad to make me bitter and angry, right? Right. And, and ruminated over, okay, well, my childhood was terrible and this, that, and the other thing. And it isn't fair. Okay. You know what? That's crowding out happiness. That's crowding yeah. out yeah. the ability to do amazing things. I mean, seriously, it's like your life needs to move forward. If you are not moving forward, you are moving backwards. So in other words, if you're not moving forwards and you're stuck in the anger and the resentment, guess what? You're living in the past. Yeah, so it's yeah. really it's really time to work through all of that, confront it head on, confront the triggers head on, put the shame, blame, and anger back on the abuser where it belongs, you know, and, and really continue to take control over your life. Take your power back. You have the, it's like Glinda in Wizard of Oz. You've had the power all along. Take it back. You know, it's funny you mention that, but there are so many, you know, I, I think and I know we're running out of time, so I'll try to make this quick. But, but uh, there's so many things in pop culture throughout the history that shows that narcissist that this all of this stuff has existed for the from the dawn of time. Everyone likes to think that narcissists just popped out, you know, in the last couple of years. But but this stuff has been going on forever. Oh yeah, absolutely. It, throughout history, you look at yeah. leaders and dictators and things like that. Every single last one of them was probably a dark triad. Yeah, but but now we have YouTube and information, so it's so much easier to to find out about it. Right. So I know exactly we're, which. No, I was going to say we're we're, said, we're basically down to the last minute. Um, uh, just just to pull back up, um, make sure you check out uh, Chris's channel. She does a weekly uh, set, uh, Sunday live stream where she's topic and everything, and then answers does a Q and a at the end of that. Plus you do other videos and stuff. And then there's information on her website where you can find that. Is there anything else you want to add before we wrap everything up? Uh, take your power back, uh, confront head on, don't resist. Don't, uh, don't let in. So yeah, get with a good therapist. <laughs> All right. And <clears throat> on that guys, thank you for hanging out with us, man, that went fast. This is one of, another one of those things where it's like, holy cow, you look, you turn around and bam, it's over. So definitely check out her links. Uh, I'm sure we'll do another one in the future. And uh, on that, 
Take your power back. Don't let these people corrupt the rest of your life. Excellent in-note message on that. And on that, I also want to say thank you to all the channel members who support the channel and have helped make this happen and keep the lights on and, and all that kind of stuff. Thank you so much for your support. Be kind to yourself. Have an outstanding weekend, and we'll see you on Monday.